do you think it's that you you stop needing that respect um wanting to be liked by your fellow players like you you let go of that that too nice syndrome and and just decided i was gonna just it's okay to beat someone on the court but yet still be liked by others yeah and i think what helped too and and that's again what i found by those top 10 players they all had a, a person in their corner that was very close to them and i never really had that even that you know i had a coach but it wasn't in my corner i was more with the girls from from the federation the five girls that i had to travel with and the coach kind of did his thing he went out with other coaches he was you know and and if you saw sabatini she was with her brother her mom her dad the whole family traveled with her um having that support group they had that support group all the time and i didn't and with sean suddenly I had this guy, he's six five, I'm six three, I almost I never like being tall. And now I suddenly have this guy in my corner. I didn't have to look for somebody to have dinner with. I didn't so I I think like like the support group. The support group was missing. When I grew up I had the support group, my mom and my sister. And then when I broke out of that, because I, I was third in the world, so they my sister couldn't catch up, so she got married and became a tennis teacher and my mom we didn't have the money yet for me to take a coach and my mom so i was just with the federation traveling around the world with some girls and um so yeah i never had that close support group and what i could see in those top 10 uh, people they all had a very close support group for them so they never felt that they needed that friend or something Rolling. let's roll i don't baby. i don't i want to i want to be this. careful here because i don't want to be in the business of trolling people so i, I that's me but um, no i don't think we're trolling here i think we're having a discussion because I, I don't think yeah he let her roll on his podcast he really didn't interrupt at all right he, she spoke the entire t- he had a couple yeah i think there was three prompt questions right or comments that dr cone made mm-hmm. and then he just let her roll i had I think he could have gone on for three hours where he delved into things, which I think we're about to do. I don't think that's that's tearing somebody apart, or I think these are deeper questions that we want our listeners to. Yeah, write. I guess I guess my my the whole thing that I took from my perspective is just that you know his intro is like he is the expert on psychology of of tennis, or he's you know he's this expert, and I was like. I was waiting for your expertise <laughs> and I, and he just, let her, he just let her talk. And I was like, okay. I mean, he had a little nugget in there about, you know, he, he talked specifically, he mentioned, um, this, uh, uh, what did he call it? He called it, um, you know, like this emotional, not wanting to lose friends. I forgot how he, how he said it, but it, it I kept listening to it and I was like, okay, are we going to have some interaction here? I mean, it's great that you're letting someone talk, but I don't know. I just, well, you're, you're going from an entertainment standpoint. No, I no. Because you're right. No, he didn't say anything. Like, no, I wanted no... information. I didn't want just entertainment. I wanted like, okay, well, what's your professional opinion on this? Like, well, well, that's what, what, you... what do you think is really happening here? And what do you think she could have done about or what could other people do about it? That's well, well, you have to hire him for that information. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> the podcast is just to point out, hey, yeah. you, you, you need some. You really have problems. You have some problems. You got to call me. I'm a sports psychologist. Right. I would also say his affect is very droll. Yeah. And flat. Yeah. So you had some mental issues. How did that make you feel? I'm not sure if that's, but again, ready? In a room where you're sitting down with somebody, maybe that's what you need. You need that flat affect sure. that when you're- Yeah, it's neutral. You don't feel like you're being right. I mean, he, he's trained. Dr. Cohen's trained himself to be neutral. But so we're talking about the Tennis Psychology Podcast, and Dr. Cohn had an episode that I came across about the mental game. In, he's a sports psychologist, obviously. Specifically, though, touting himself as a tennis psychologist. Expert. Expert. And he interviewed Brenda Schultz McCarthy, who is on the women's tour from 80, I think it was 88 to 90. 90. I didn't, that's one thing I didn't bring to this. It was, 80, well, <laughs> it was like 88 up. to 97. Yeah. Right, for it's a decade. She was on for a decade. That's and she, top thirty. We're talking She'll get the WTA pension. I'm I'm good. <laughs> like like I'm really good. You know, again, she can play with the two percent of the population that's that at that level, or even less than that. But she was very what I enjoyed about the podcast were her take on she was very forthright. She was extremely honest. But then there were these gaps that he didn't, which is, I think, what you're talking about, that he didn't go into. So why don't you go first, and then I think you're going to... I'm always curious to see if what we, each of us got out of no, something. No, I always go first. You go first. No, no, I really want you to go first. No, I'm serious. You go first, because no, I'm first. always the one leading no, this whole thing. I feel and all, then, it's been a while. I feel like I would like you to go first. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Uh, Listen, raise your hand. Okay, people in, are not going to... In podcast land, raise your hand if you want Claude to go first again. <laughs> oh, 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 I think I see. I see forty-five people raising their hand. No, I, said, I, 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 you know, there were. At first, I was listening to it. I'll be quite frank. At first, I was listening to it, and I was like, I can't find anything here. I can't find anything. I mean, it was like a twenty-four-minute podcast, and I was like, I can't find anything here. I don't know what I'm going to do, um, because it just didn't, um. You know, he didn't dig, and she she was forthcoming, but he didn't really react much to her forthcomingness, right? And so you're getting I, crickets out of it. You're getting crickets. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, what did you? Yeah. So she came down and said, basically, in hindsight, she couldn't. Her goal is to be number one. Yeah. The question was never asked, why? And I've spoken about this in previous podcasts. What is your motivation? Why do you want to be number one? But wait, did you? I hate. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but she. I thought she said in there that she always wanted to be in the top, and then she said something like, "Well, once you get up there, you of course want to go higher and higher and higher." Yeah, towards the end of the podcast, she had said, "My goal is to become." number one in the world that was, okay. that was her ultimate goal and she had made the comment that when you get into the top 10 those 10 players tend to stay there right for a decade right that's why you see the same names coming around because they hit this point where they just 
I think it just comes together. The mental game, that's what you're seeing. That's what, which he didn't say. He didn't come up with that and say, yeah, when those, when those players get there and you're in the top 10, that you're looking at the culmination and the coming together of the physical, the emotional, and the mental. And she touched, and then she also touched upon her nutrition on how bad it was actually and her, her right. ignoring. It was odd to me that in the halfway through the podcast, she was, again, ready. She said when she was younger, she could just overpower people, that she was just strong enough. She was a, a very good athlete, but then her diet and her regimen, her exercise regimen, her, did not match. So there was that element also, which you could have gone into, that could have been, you could have really broken this down, I think, into multiple areas. So that to me is, for that, you got to call in for an appointment. <laughs> you know, no, you do, you do. But again, so her for her goals to be number one, mm. my question would have been, why? And then it wasn't until the end she said, "Well, I figured out I couldn't, I couldn't break through. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't close out the deal." But then when she gives the backstory of her growing up, yeah, she talks about she always heard there were financial issues. Okay, so. I think she said she was from uh, the Netherlands or, or no, Belgium. She was uh, from Belgium. And they you only get real support if you're in the top four in Belgium. She was in the Federation, though. Yes. She said but, she was in but, the Federation. So she got, she got mm. some help when she was younger. But her sister yeah. also played. Right. And she was in mm. the top eight. So she didn't get any help. So both parents are trying to fund yeah. both girls playing tennis. Right. And... She talked about always hearing their parents, her parents arguing over money. Money yeah. was, oh, how are you going to pay for the lessons? How are we going to do this? Right. How are we going to blah, 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 blah. And States. then she even talked during her thing. She talked about how she was like, she had real empathy for some people coming up because she would practice with some people coming up because she knew what it was like to can't afford lessons. So she would work with people for free because she knew what it was like. So think of that. You have this person that is empathetic, that's a yes, who's also seeing growing up her parents struggle for her to help her dream become realized. And again, I don't know if it was her dream. We don't, again, this is that thing where you don't know where it's starting. Was that something that the parents recognized her athletic prowess early on and it just happened to be tennis? Or... Did, and then they pushed it, or did she choose it? So there's that. There's that. What was the motivation? Two, if she's growing up around financial issues all the time, and hearing her parents argue about it, so that was another thing that came up. And then she talked about her mom suddenly dying from an aneurysm when she was towards the end of her career, when she was trying to really break through, and she said the steam just went out because of all the sacrifices her mom had made. Everything her mom had did for her, had done for her. And I'm pausing here because that's where I'm, where's the, con- I guess that's, this is the psycho- psychological session where Dr. Cohn says, so how did that make you feel? You, you know, but that's, that's it. And then she says, well, they my mom made all these sacrifices for me 
there was financial issues that both my parents sold the car, so we took the bus, so we'd have extra money. Okay, you're not playing for you now. You're playing, so if the motive, and then she said she was always worried about the money, constantly worried about the money. Well, of course that stands the reason, because you heard your parents fighting about the money. So then are you competing because you want to make money to take care of your parents? I, I don't know if that's the mental edge you need. Well, she Clearly said... Clearly for her, it was not. She said so much that when she was in a tournament and she was very keenly aware of the money payout, depending on where you... The results <clears throat> that you achieved. So she was very keenly aware of that and whether or not that was going to be able to be for her, you know, she could contribute to her parents. But, you know, I think that these stories are... I don't think that they're simple stories where it's like, well, clearly it was the dad's vision and he was pushing it all along and, and, and yeah, and that's why it was doomed to fail. Right. I, I think that it's, you know, you get introduced to it through your parents and your parents, you know, push you in a direction and they nudge you and yeah, there are some parents that take it too far and whatever, but ultimately I think it kind of becomes your vision. And before you know it, you're young and you don't really have a lot of breadth of experience of what's out there. Unless your parents are saying, well, you could be an architect, you could be an engineer, you could be a physician, you could be a poet, you could be this and just keep blah, and keep doing all this stuff. At some point, you know, the parents happen to be saying, well, you know, you're pretty good at tennis. And maybe the coach is saying, yeah, you know, you're pretty good at tennis. And, you know, I, I think that these are not, I don't think that these are like, uh, I mean, there are some instances I'm sure of, you know, uh, where they push the crap out of the kid and it's, it's there and the whole thing. But I think a lot of it is just this weird combination of lack of Lack of vision. We're already here. We're already doing this. And we're also, we're already committed into it. So we've got to see it through. You know what I mean? We want to see it through. And this is a chance. And I also think that there's a, there's a grander vision there was like, you know, you can always go to work at a job. You can always go to work at a job, but what's your chance of becoming a sports legend or hero or icon but, but again we, we're cool. putting yeah but no you think it's pretty cool <laughs> again it doesn't matter if if the parent thinks it's cool if the kid or whoever you're training doesn't think it's cool if they, well, i think society thinks it's pretty cool because we immortalize all these sports correct people everywhere. correct so but it's not just a parent you know i mean it's no but that's why culture the, because that's why the parent thinks it's cool. And they say things like, well, when you win, when you get there, that this high achievement will satisfy you. And uh, there's a great book called The Childhood Roots of Adult Happiness. And one of the things they say in the, he talks about in the book is that he talks about, he knows like 20 Nobel Prize winners who are miserable. And all they do is they're just unhappy. They are people are like, but look what you do. You have the Nobel Prize. And they're like, yeah, I don't really don't care. They're just self-deprecating because they had messed up childhoods. They're really good at something. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. But they basically hate themselves. So then people on the outside are like, oh, you're so lucky. But and then this, do they and quit the, after they get the Nobel no, because, Prize? No, because do they, they don't know anything else. So it's, so it's just like a job that you do. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. So that's like when people are like, when they look like an actor, an actress, and then the actor or actress kills themselves. Like, but they seem so, they had everything going for them. No, they didn't. It was a job. It just wasn't the job that you do, so you thought it was cool. So I think that there's a parallel here to uh, like abuse. Like if you were abused as a kid, 
you know, um, you could, you have a choice once you become an adult. Do I choose to stay in this abusive cycle of what I've been crafted to be, that I have no self-esteem, that I am, um, that I'm this person and I'm, and I'm awful or I'm whatever, uh, or do I seek help and do I change and do I make a decision now that I'm an adult? You know what? I really don't want to do this. Cause I think there's plenty of kids who sit there and they say to their parents, I don't care that I've invested, that you've invested all this time. I really don't want to do this anymore. You know, and I think when you're an adult, I mean, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to walk away. So like when you say, you know, you don't know anything else, I, I kind of, this, I, I, I understand that, but I also think to myself, you have a choice, you're a functioning adult and you can sit there and say, you know what, I came from an abusive background. I'm going to get some therapy. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do something here. I'm not going to just wind myself into a ball and call it. And I think you have a choice. And so, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, it's, it's kind of like I, when I, I, I loved Agassiz's book, but after I put it down and I reflected on it, I was like, wow, you know, this guy was, he complains that he hated tennis and he does, but look what he's done. Like he's turned around and he's done the philanthropic, he's done the philanthropic organizations. He's done all this stuff, but also he's obviously Andre Agassi. <laughs> so he commands, he can get people to invest in things. He can get people to take chances and take risks. He can, he can do a lot of wonderful things with his life above and beyond, you know, what he originally did or did, you know, did in tennis. And I mean, you know, He's miserable up to a point, I guess, playing tennis. But yeah, but he, he you know was, now he's got this great gift, and he's Andre Agassi, and he can do whatever he wants to for the rest of his life for the next, you know, forty, fifty years. And you know, who would buy his book if he was Andre Agassi, the casino operator? Yeah, but he had to take it back. You have to understand something that he had to reinvent himself. He is somebody that yeah. had to. Andy Roddick's doing the same thing. He's like into real estate. He didn't, I don't think he liked, I think he got to a point where he didn't like tennis. But I, you know, I think is more important here is that what is it that you don't like about the tennis? And I think this goes right back to what she's talking about here. And it's a failing on this podcast's part because they keep saying it's the mental game and they don't say that it's the emotional game. And the thing is, there's a very distinct difference. And if we keep saying it's the mental game, mental game, mental game, we're confusing things. Because from my standpoint in coaching my kids, there is a very distinct difference. There's the mental game, which is, hey, there's patterns. Let's analyze what's going on with this guy. Why is he doing this? Why am I doing this? What should I do? What should he do? <laughs> what's going to happen here? What's likely to happen? Where are we at 30 love? Where are we, you know, I'm, I'm three sets, I'm three point games down where are, that's mental, right? Am I rotating right? That's mental, but emotional is God, I am four games behind. This is four zero. Oh my God. But if I lose this, but that's, but they're saying that that reaction is mental. It, that your emotional output is control. I'm not, I'm not being funny here. Like it's controlled by your brain. So and use, using the tools like she was saying in the podcast, uh, there's breathing techniques. One thing she, again, ready? She said, there's tapping. Okay, well, and then he just dropped it. Like she, it was a side comment. But I don't think you can get to the mental 
until you somehow learn to control the emotional because clearly the emotional governs until you can control it. It governs. And that's what I'm saying, like with this whole, like, why did Steffi hate, you know, and they talk about in the book, like, oh, I hate tennis. So do you. Everybody hates tennis, blah, blah, blah. It's a job. I'm like, okay, well, what is it? Okay. We can dispute whether you hate it or you don't, and whether you should or you shouldn't, but what is it that causes you to hate it? Because I was made to play. I didn't want to play tennis. And I, they, yes, I'm good at it, but they forced me to play. See, I don't think that's it at all. No, hold on. I'm saying, but if that's the answer or that's the perceived motivation, my parents need money. They're making sacrifices for me because I'm a good athlete, but I'd rather be doing something else. Okay, well then that's not going to lead to happiness. That's going to lead to a job. So I think, I don't, I, don't, I think, so, so that's that. I think that, you know, the reason why it's so miserable is because the emotional losses are so hard. If you take a person and you let them win everything or just about everything, they're likely to come back and look at you and go, tennis, not bad. It's pretty cool. I've won four slams this year. I won four slams last year. Pretty cool. It's tough, but you know, I roll. I roll into it, but it's so emotionally hard to lose. And it, 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 because it dents your psyche, you've been built up to be this person. You know, I'm, I, you know, you've got coaches saying, yeah, that forehand's looking great. Oh, look at that backhand. You've got you know, maybe fans, who knows, but you've got parents, you've got friends, you've got peers who are like, whoa, boy, you play a mean game of tennis. Holy cow. You've got a rank. You've got a rank. And you're like, well, I'm ranked this. I'm ranked that, which, you know, regardless, you can sit there and say, well, I'm ranked 200 in the world or 300 in the world. Well, guess what? Emotionally, it means that you're thinking to yourself, I'm way better than those other like 800 guys, right? But when you're 200 in the world, now you're thinking, I'm great. I'm so great. You get out there and you get a beating from some guy who's 250. Well, now what? Emotionally, this is like, I think that this is the big elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Why would you hate it so much? If you won uh, regularly, it'd be like, hey, it's gravy. I make tons of money. This is how this whole thing rolls. You know, this is important to me. Again, see, I don't understand why you keep coming back to this. Hold on. I get what you're saying, but you keep making the qualifier. I make a lot of money. That has nothing to do with it. I, again, I, Again, you have to have... No, I didn't say that. I said you're if you were winning all the time. No, the, no it's not about the money. I'm saying you the just win. said it was. You just okay, said I have all this money coming in. That's that's you just you keep saying that the qualifiers look at Agassi. He's got all this money. He can do whatever he wants. Look, they have all this money. They can do whatever they want. If it's a job that brings you no satisfaction and actually winning all the time is not a motivator. It's kind of like okay, what it is is. You're, and you use slams. You have to really break this down. You said, oh, when you're winning slams all the time. But you still had to lose other tournaments. You lost games. You lost <laughs> sets. So it was close because you're playing people. When you, when you say things, when anybody says anything like, well, you're winning all the time, it sounds like, and people, and this is the problem, people misinterpret these things as, Oh, I beat every, I should be beating everybody every single game. 
No, winning all the time means maybe you win out the big matches. Maybe you're not going to win every single set. Maybe you're going to win sometimes. And yes, you, for whatever reason, mentally, you eke out the the grand the big the big tournaments or whatever whatever sport it may be but the, we need to break you want to keep breaking things down that's the appropriate way to do that winning all the time doesn't exist even at the top 10 but i didn't but that is what you said no you're not getting it i'm saying in a fantasy world what i'm trying to get to is this 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 point the point is why do you hate it it's not at that point when you're 25 and you're on the tour, you can't blame your parents anymore. You didn't choose it. You can't. That, that's that. That is that is like saying that. That to me, I'm sorry. I really disagree with that. You can walk away. You can walk away. Your parents aren't going to assassinate you. You are a free human being. But isn't that? But you can walk away. But isn't that the psychological issue? That is the thing. That mentally you're still stuck in this. W- thing that you only learned you're stuck in this this career or whatever you're doing because your parents or whatever guilt that happened when you were a kid right and and listen there are some people that are strong enough to do that and then there are other people that will cling to how they were when they grew up for a self-preservation or whatever that whatever that motivator thing is and there's so much emotional guilt attached to it that they can't get beyond that, that they're incapable of growth. And I know people in my life that are like that, where you're like, you're, what you're doing is never going to work. And because they acted that way when they were younger, based on things that happened in their families, sure. they cling to it. So you're saying there's people that will not walk away. For fear that because, because they've Because it's a personal will thing when you're 25 and you're of, on the tour. Of course, everything's personal. Everybody is, every, I agree with you. Everybody has the capability of changing or making a different decision. Right. But then you've got to deal with the fallout. Yeah, you and, do. And then if that fallout is letting down your, your mom who made all these financial sacrifices and your entire country is, you were the hopeful person for an entire, I don't know what that's like. I mean, Illinois isn't waiting for me to, to, to win Wimbledon right now. But, but, but my point is, is why do they hate it? You're sitting there, I think saying they hate it because they were forced to do it as a kid and they've been told that this is what they must do and that they're, and, and that this is, this is their life. And what I think, what I know I'm saying is I think that the reason that they hate it so much is because it is emotionally draining to get out there and to and to go to yet another tournament it is un, it is destabilizing and unstable I mean people who take 100% commission jobs which basically that is it's 100% commission job yeah. and there's different jobs right there's some that are 100% commission where if you're like selling cars you don't know where your bread's coming from tomorrow. Somebody could walk in, somebody could not walk in. Yeah, there's a list of people who might have looked at cars, but that's about it. That's very different. You can be in a tennis facility and you can be working a class and then kind of get some privates from it. That's a 100% commission job, but that's you kind of can get some traction or you can have some wins, right? When you show up at a t- at a tennis tournament, if if you don't perform a hundred percent 
as best as you can, and even on your B game and C game, you're not ascending the ladder and you're not getting a paycheck. You're not eating <laughs> unless you're using savings or somebody's comping you. So the, there is incredible 100% commission pressure there. And that pressure is not just financial. I believe that it's huge emotional because it's like you combine the two. It's not just about the winning. It's like you sit there and if you don't win, now you're not eating or you don't have the money to pay for the next adventure. And it's like at certain points, you start after loss after loss, digging on yourself and you're like, wow, I hate this. Like, I don't know if I can keep going with this. Okay, hold on. Hit the smarkles button for me, please. This one? Yeah. I love that, how it trades the trails off. So yes. So let's just deal with what you just said. Yeah. Pressure. I'm going to, and I'm... The skill should provide, or the task should provide the motivator. So... I agree with you all the, except when you choose it yourself, then you're, I'm okay with the pressure. I'm, I, I, cause you, cause the thing is it's for you. It's about you developing. So I'm going to quote the book again, childhood roots of adult happiness. Everybody needs to read this, whether you're a parent or not. Top, top three factors of why people are fulfilled and happy in whatever they're doing if this happens in your childhood. There's an element of free play, exploration, and creativity. Exploration, free play, and creativity. That's one section. There's some element of control in your life that you personally have as a child, that you're, you're giving elements a job or things to do around the house, whatever it may be, but you get that element of control where you're trusted and your parents trust you. Three, Fairness. When you live in an unfair household, because I told you so, be quiet. I'm speaking. This is what you do. Those three, if those three factors are not in balance, most adults don't end up as completely fulfilled. Now, if you have those three elements, one thing he talks about in the book is then take that towards a skill. Take it towards Let's use tennis as an example. And you choose it. The skill itself or the task should provide the motivation and the impetus for you to go down that rabbit hole. And then because you have those other three things, gives you confidence in yourself that you're able to accept the things <laughs> that go along with that. And now we're going to get into Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, one of my favorite people of all time about flow. So if these three factors are there and then you find something that totally lights your brain up, whatever that task may be, you will fall into flow. And when you're in flow, you will completely dissolve yourself into the task at hand, whether or not it is simple, easy, emotionally, uh, psychologically damaging, because you are so motivated. And I think this is what separates Federer, Djokovic, these, these guys, Serena, there is something in them. And I think there's, there's a little bit of anger going on with Serena, but whatever that motivator is, she uses it, that it's for them. They are fighting 
because this is their thing. This is the thing that psychologically, this is the task that gets them into flow and it is challenging. And I agree with you. Staying on top is just as hard as trying to get to the top because once you're up there, there are all these expectations. There's, and at the pro level, you're supporting a team of people and their families. Think of that financial pressure that you have. You're not just worried about your own family. You've got skin in the game for four or five other families that you're paying to, to support. So when you lose, they lose. And I think your, your analogy of being a car salesman is a, a great one. Or just a tennis pro that, that's at a club that doesn't have full time where it's feast or famine. You're only as good as how many lessons you have in your book. So I, I think it's important that as we unpack this, that we understand what the mode, again, I keep coming back to mm. how you handle the emotional has to come back to the motivation. And yet at the same time. Do you not think that? Uh, that, that if it doesn't come from you as a person, you're sitting here, you got to choose your life. Your dad and mom didn't say to you, you're going to do this. And you're, but I don't like it, but you're good at it. You're going to do it. And once you get there, this high achievement, you're going to love it. So I got to be honest with you. I wish my parents had done some of that <laughs> because not having done that, it was too free form for me. That's my, that's my little take. Yeah. But, but so, again, but hold on, but you get, you deal with extremes. There's a, I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm trying to suggest, I'm not trying. I am suggesting that there's a balance that you have to make sure that it's not your goal for them. And if it's your goal for them, they're not going to even, they're not going to get there. Yeah. Yet this stands, this is interesting because this stands in stark contrast to, um, uh, or, or it actually highlights a problem that she actually talks about in here, which is a support group. So she sort of circles around this idea that you need a support group. And she talked oh, about you, no, these no, other you, people that, that had support groups. Yeah. You know, she saw like, I think it was Victoria Azarenka. I, I can't remember who she pointed out, but, but she talks specifically about having a support group. So to me, what's, what's interesting in, in light of this conversation that we oh, say, oh, the parents, I don't want to lose this. Okay, so sorry, I got it. The parents, we say that this is the parents thing and it's the, and then, and, and, and there's, you know, you're being forced and there's all this stuff and all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. but yet when you take it in the context of what she said, like, she's like, I didn't have that support group. You know, she's like, my mom died and that was pretty much about it. And I didn't have that support group or she, and then she names two or three players. And I just, I wrote down to myself, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Agassi had Gil and then he kind of had Brad. So he was a little bit less. But then when you talk about Nadal, I've read Nadal's book. Nadal has like his cousins and his uncle, everybody comes. (laughs) Nadal's got like, Nadal's got a posse. He's got a posse of like 10 people around him at all times. But it's not entourage, right? You told me that. No, 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 they're, they're good people. No, they're, they love they him jo- and support him. they have jobs. Him. Well, yeah, yeah, they're paid. Yeah, they're, they, they, yeah, I'm sure they're compensated and all this other stuff, but he also has, um, you know, and if you look at Djokovic, I met Djokovic and his wife was right there. I talk with her. 
she was so unassuming. She didn't even introduce me as his wife, as her his wife. I was like, well, that's okay. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, I shook your wife's hand. Oh, that's not, you know, it's, and, and Federer, he's got a whole thing. And the, and, but I'm saying what I think is interesting is, is we, we rail against tennis parents who are pushing people, pushing kids, and this is their whole thing. So then I think to myself, the mic drop moment is, well, if it's going to be free form and it's, or it's going to be, you know, it's up to that person and their choice, and they're going to do all this stuff, then how do you get other people that are supposed to be in your support group? that are going to help you on the rise to go along with this whole thing. Because now you have to, if you go along that track, then it also has to be organic. It also has to be organic with the, the parents or the support group. Like, you know, like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm playing a lot of tennis. I was, uh, I was hoping that you could um, come to some of my matches. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I could, I could come to a match. Yeah. Definitely. I'll come to a match. You're feigning texting and looking at your phone, right? Now. <laughs> like, how are you going to, like, what I'm saying is, is that I think that this is, there's, if you're going to, if you're going to, and, and I want to get, I don't want to argue about that. I just, I'm saying like, if you sit there and you say, well, organically, I want you to come to it on your own. Well, then also the support group people are going to have to come to it on their own because that, how else are you going to no, get there? Uh, yeah, and that's a yes, huge yes. order. And I don't know that that's going to happen. And, and the bigger thing I want to get to is if we're going to form these support groups, which I think parent players need at all ages, I'm not just talking for the pro tour here. I think this is, this is what really tennis rockers is about. Tennis rockers is about grassroots tennis players, not, let's get everybody famous on here and let's talk to a bunch of famous people so we can get more sponsorships and ads. Although those would be nice. We're more about, we're more about talking to grassroots players and people who are keeping the game alive for the love of the game. Right. And not because they're famous and they've got fame or they've got whatever. And, and in a healthy way. Well, yeah, I'm assuming it's a healthy joy. way. Sometimes hold it's hold not. You got guys with knee braces and arm braces. <laughs> That's not healthy. But anyway. Well, hold on, but, but stop. Mm. Let's just, hold on. Stay on the support group because I think you just hit it out of the park on this. I didn't think of this. She had said, Brenda had also said, she saw her sister, <laughs> who is losing, had a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, And right. she's winning and she's like, uh I got nobody here. I got right. So she said, as as a young girl, she started feeling bad beating people. Yeah, and there. So, I said, yeah. No, no, I know. I'm 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 trying to. I have a a, a thought out in the ethos, and I'm trying to pull it back ether. in ether. The ethos is different. Ethos is a <laughs> yeah, I know. philosophy. Yeah, I know. Let's... Go ahead. Sorry, interrupt. <laughs> Hold on. In the ether. There's an ethos I'm trying to grab. Sure. I, I can't sure. get it right sure. now. It's yeah. reaching out. Having a support group of people allows an outside perspective that's not your parents. And adult, they don't necessarily need to be adults. And we had spoken about having mentors, better players as teenagers or college players, right. reaching down to the younger players, almost like a big brother, big sister, to somebody that maybe is 14 that's right. competing and they don't they can reach out to them yeah and say you can do a FaceTime and say yeah. hey hey Bob 
listen, I, I had this tournament yesterday and I just, you know, and oh, I know I played in, I just played a, a D1 match yesterday and I had a, right? So there's that, that outside perspective of someone that's actually doing it because I think you also need, your parents can't be the end all be all of your view for the world. You need other people's perspective. And I think I have a lot of parents that say to me, you know, I, I just, I, I, I'd rather you just do this angle of it. And I get it that it's an outside perspective for the kid that they're not going to listen to me just because of the emotional bearer that you're yeah. my parent. We talked about the bearers. There is sometimes you get tired of hearing from your parents all the time. Sure. But it makes more sense when somebody else says it. So I think that, that having some kind of big brother, big sister, some sort of, so how do you create those support groups? And then for young juniors who are on an elite path or want to go there, how do you create those, how do you create those support systems and then implement them? I don't know that, but I think you're a hundred percent right on this. But I also have to add something okay. here, which is it starts with a vision. And the problem is, is that when you're talking about little kids, their vision extends about, you know, it's, it's, it's very wide and not very deep. So it's, I like to be a police officer, bang, bang, arrest, that whole thing. Okay. But when you talk to your kids as a parent and I do this, so you don't, you know, don't get mad, but I'm like, it's a really tough job. And I explained to them, yeah, you work three shifts and uh, you have to see some of the worst side of humanity. So you have to see people lying to you a lot. You have to see people hurt. You have to bust people doing things that Wait, maybe... Wait, it, it sounds like a tennis match. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing. Quite, yeah. People hurt. People, people cheating. You. Worst side of humanity. People sounds hate like you. a tennis I match. Know. Yeah, maybe. It's but the same I, thing. And I, and I start to explain to them that, you know, you're, you're, you don't get paid a ton and you're sitting in a car and it's not super healthy all the time and you start to develop a sense of paranoia about people that could be after you and i start going deep into this whole thing i show the vision to them because i want them i'm not trying to turn them away from police work but i'm trying to give them a fuller perspective yeah but is the fuller perspective so that, though going through the mm. positives of it one you get to protect people Two, you get to drive a cool car. Unless you use the motorcycle. That's pretty cool. Sure. Too. Right. I mean, hold on. So that's that's actually skewing it. Because if well, it, I didn't get to the other perspectives. Well, 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 do you get to the, you sit down and write out a list that says, here are the pros, here are the cons. That that is giving a full perspective. Yeah, I do, it. but to me as a as a parent, I'm looking out for my kids' decisions in their future. So I'm thinking to myself, hmm. Maybe not such a great career choice. But what if they really want to do it? Well, if they really wanted to so do it. So they become a great tennis player, but in the happens, back of their minds, they always want to become a police officer, and that's what they want to do, and you made them play tennis. Now we're right back to what I was saying so, earlier. So what happens is that you you wait for them to develop, in my mind, as, as a parent from my kids, you wait for them to develop that idea, and then you let them in on the stuff that they're going to do as a police officer, and you show them, you know? you show them this other stuff. Yeah, but you have to show them the other stuff too from everything. Well, That's I can't show them driving around in a car, right? Because I, I don't have access to a police car. And I suppose I could ask somebody to ride along in a police car. But the but the reality is, is that I show them the things that I know that I can find from news reports 
I know that I can find from the world at yeah, large. Yeah, but I can show you pro athletes that can't tie their shoes. And you're going to tell me, most people say, oh, but look at the ranch that Jim McMahon has. Jim McMahon can't tie his shoes. Right. So you could, so I would argue that that pro football would not be the way to go if right. you end up with dementia and can't tie your shoes by 65. So why would that be any safer or better than becoming a police officer or a fireman or I don't know. Pick something. Right. I can. You can find fault with anything, but if that's what they want to do and they're hell bent on doing it, and it leads to complete fulfillment for them as a human being, right. why? Why would you? Then they're going to do it. And then if you push them into you, what you think they should do right. based on their skill sets, that is not going to lead to somebody that's all in. Right. So the but the support group thing comes in that I think. The important part here is that, the, you know, if you want people to be all in, it's and to have a support group, like you're going to need everybody to be on the same, in the same mindset, in the same emotional, it's not even mindset. You're going to need to have the same emotional feelings about that. Like as a parent, well, I don't really want my, 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 my uh, son to be a cop. I mean, my neighbor next door, her grandson is a police officer and he's in one of the worst neighborhoods in the, in the city of Chicago. And he carries a gun with him to work. He carries a gun at home. He carries a gun all the time. And he talks all the time about being shot at and he's miserable, but he finds the work exhilarating. But the rest of the family is like, they want him desperately to quit because he has two young kids and well, that's a contradictory statement. They right don't there. know you if just he's that's a contradictory statement. Come you just home said he, alive. Well, yeah, I got, night. I got it. But you just said he's miserable, but he finds it exhilarating. Yeah. Th those are completely so. Get him on here and let's talk about it because sure. that's those are completely contradictory statements. Right. I'm I'm miserable, but I'm exhilarated by the job. Yeah. So, okay, but that's what they want. Mm -hmm. That's their. That's the I me mind of what they're afraid of but if that's what does it for him right and it fulfills him and, right. it, and then the risk is worth it just like the risk is worth a back injury or a knee injury playing pro tennis and being on this trajectory or being a young kid that wants to go for to play at a high level sure, of college it, but the point is the support group so no, no, I know, but you can't. Not, but you're, the you're, you're, support group is not a hundred percent on board with because we're talking about the support group here, right? Yeah, you know, but you're trying to in your support group. The support group isn't like I'm steering you. The support group is giving you a perspective, and it's at a lot and different and different perspectives. But the support group is I'm here to listen. You're, it sounds like, and I could be wrong, that you're putting in as, the support group is, we're going to tell you what to do so you can avoid these other things. No. That's not a support group. Okay. A support group is, I'm here for you, and when it comes to this and their suggestions, and young people need to be allowed to explore and make decisions, right and wrong, if you want them to develop into a normal human being. That's it, because then, because then there's not an element of control. You don't get control by putting a helmet on everything. I mean, I could argue that my kids could stab themselves with a fork, so maybe they should wear goggles and a helmet at the dinner table. We, right. could, we could find fault with anything. So um, anyway, the support group is uh, what I think 
my concept of support group is that you are, you don't just sit there and say, well, you know, there's pros and cons of being shot at every night. And I don't know, you know, I think, I think you might enjoy that. I mean, I know you enjoy it, but you know, I, a support group is a people who are like, oh, wow, geez, you got shot at again. Oh, wow, you lost again. Boy, empathy, that feels awful. Geez, I don't know. Do you really want to continue doing this, honey? Because maybe you don't want to keep playing tennis because, you know, it's really starting to eat away at you. And I empathize with that and I see that. And maybe it's time that you think about doing other things. You know, you're also good at some other things. Uh, conversely, a support group is like, oh, wow, you're winning. But, you know, you do lose sometimes. Are you going to be okay with that? Keeping going? Yeah, I am. So that's what a support group does to me. And that is steering. And the reason it's steering is because you're human beings and you're sitting there talking human being to human being. You don't just amorphously sit there and say, well, there are pros to this and there are cons to this and those are your choices and go figure it, go forward. You're a human being. You love this person. You're connected with this person. You want the best for this person. So in a support group, yeah, you're going to express your opinions and you're not always going to agree. Sometimes you're going to disagree, but the point is that you're going to empathize with them. You're going to demonstrate your humanness. You're going to, you're going to try. Yes, you're steering them. You are going to steer them. That's, that's not just parenting, that's friendship. And sometimes it, it leads to friends just not talking to each other again, you know, because the, the person can't deal with it. But then again, I have, I've had friends in my life and I know there are people that I know in my life that can't tell people that they're grossly obese and that they're, they're worried about them and that they're going to have major health problems, family and friends, and they should really stop but they won't do that. Well, that's not being a support group. You know what that is? That's ambivalence. That's fear of, of hurting the relationship. That's wanting to just keep things status quo. Well, that's not a support group. A support group is somebody who sits there and they say to you, then it's the tough stuff. You got to look somebody in the eye and you got to be like, you know, maybe this isn't. And I say it to my kids all the time, I go, you know what? Maybe tennis isn't the thing for you. And they're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, no, I mean it. But I say, if you're going to do something, I want you to spend two to three hours a day doing it. So if you want to become a professional skateboarder, you're going to hit that ramp and you're going to do it because you need to understand that, that whatever it is that you want to do, that you want to pursue, and that's being in a support group. So I'm not contradicting myself. What I'm telling you is that being a support group is not standing by. It's expressing your elemental humanness. It's sitting there and it is steering and it's being a part of it. And I'm, and I'm a hundred percent on this because if you don't, if you don't, it's not really support group. Then you're just basically like a therapist who gets paid to sit there on the couch while somebody says to you, oh, things are awful. And you say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about, let me write your prescription. I mean, that's not, you know, I think that's why people have turned away from therapy in some levels to that therapy. People want more active assistance and they, and they've turned toward life life coaches and stuff like that. People who are like, well, but that doesn't really always cut it. But the point is that having that support group is really key. And the, the key part of it is, is the elemental humanness that you express through your feelings and you do steer 
and hopefully you try to steer and you present both both positives and negatives. That depends on what kind of person you are. But but ultimately, I think, and I think all these kids need it. And I'll tell you that, you know, I think tennis at the lower levels, especially with kids, they don't have those support groups. And I'm not just talking like a mentor buddy at the tennis club. I'm talking about parents who are at the closest there. They're paying for the lesson. So they should have some skin in the game and not just saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, honey, how was your tennis lesson? Oh, good. Hey, listen, um, we've got to get you off to soccer or we've got to get you off to this or, you know, you have to do your homework. Or That's not supportive. You know, and that's not, you know, it's like, oh, what happened today? Well, you know, I, I went there and I was with Coach Sully and I I I missed the ball pretty much the whole time. Oh, honey, I'm sorry. That's terrible. Do you know what I mean? That's terrible. But do, you, do you still want to keep going with tennis? Yeah, you know, I want or no. You know what? I don't like it. I don't like the kids in my class. I don't I don't really want to. Okay, honey, I understand. You know, I still think you should finish out the class. But so that's steering. But it's not like forcing, but you are steering. I still think you should need to finish out the class because you got 10 sessions left and I know you're miserable, but let's just, you know, try to keep going here. I think you should finish what you started. So that's steering. You're empathizing, you're steering, and you are saying, and, and that is, and that's elemental toward being a support group. But the person needs to be able to know that they ultimately make the final decision based on your advice or how you steered them, that they're not gonna be ostracized if they didn't take your advice because that's a control mechanism from you. That's what that is. Yeah. Well, I told you what to do. I, was, I have your best interest at heart. I'm telling you that if you do it this way, that's not what's good for you. Sure. Those are control mechanisms sure. for what you want for them. Uh-huh. That is not a support group. Yeah. So a support group is, here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking from knowing you and what I'm seeing. And yes, you give all the angles. And yes, you are steering what's in their best interest because of what you care about and love about them. And then ultimately, they get to make the decision and the support group supports the decision regardless, or that person does, regardless of it, it actually coincides what you said. Yeah. The support group is, okay. I'm going to support you on this. If you're going to go down that I would way, add I'm two, in on I would add two elements to that. Is okay. One is that the support group has to give a perspective. <clears throat> so the support yeah. group has to sit there and say, listen, you've given four, five, six years of your life to this. You've put in a lot of effort. You better be really sure you want to give this up. You want to quit this because this is a big deal. Walking away is throwing away all this time. And then the other thing is, is that's that perspective. And then the other thing is, is listen, you have, it's, it's a, it's a way for, you got to provide perspective and you got to provide way forward in a support group. It's not just this, well, here are the pros, here are the cons and you've made your decision. And well, that sounds good. A support group to me. All right, stop, is, stop, stop. You're stop. going to sit there, I'm not, I'm not gonna, and you're going to provide a perspective, not what I said. and that then you're going to provide a way forward. Well, here's the way forward for you. You also have these other interests. You also have this other stuff. You should think about strongly about committing yourself to one of those things. That so you got to provide perspective and way forward. Because if you don't provide those things and you just do it in kind of a vacuum and then let them make their decision that doesn't that doesn't give people 
the true support they need. So, I mean, you gotta, you know, think about it. But that's not what I said. I agree. That's what you just said is what I said. It's not like, well, here's the pros, here's the cons. That's, that's not anything what I said. Oh. It's what you just said is what I said. Oh, oh, okay. So, yes to all those things. Mm-hmm. But when it doesn't agree with what you suggested, <clears throat> right. if you then hold that against them, that is not being supportive. I think that that's like a no. small fraction of the people that are involved in that. I mean, you're painting this like this is all these people no, that are holding it against the no, people I'm, who are, there's this no, big cadre of no, people who are jamming it down people's throats and, no. and holding it against them if they make those wrong. I think that that's probably 10% or less of the population I'm, that's I'm involved in those situations. That's I'm, a support group. I'm not, what I'm saying is there are people that this is the way they support. Yeah, you, sure. There's yeah, and malevolent you, support, right? Well, that's what that is. Correct. Right. And this is a podcast on don't do that. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, that's not the way to go. But this isn't a podcast is, on don't do that. This is a podcast on trying to figure out how we provide a really good support group and at what age we start doing that and how we do this. Correct. But then you're, you're asking at a pro level, we're saying this person right there. So let it also depends on the kind of support group and how that information per person is being disseminated to that person and who those people are delivering. But how are you going to, my point, I guess I'm saying is, is that, that when you look at the rise of a player from the very beginning, there has to be a sort of a compassionate commitment on everybody's part. It's not just this kid who has a dream and the parents go, yeah, I'll support and I'll pay for some lessons and I'll do this because there are extreme sacrifices that are made. Extreme. It has to be that the people in the support group, the parents, it's usually the parents, but it has to be, I mean, you take it. It doesn't matter. It could be Olympic ice skater. It could be Olympic anything, <laughs> right? It, you don't get there with just a dream and some money, people paying or whatever. You just don't get there. You got to, I mean, there's just like, they lay out the vision. They provide the support group provides the perspective. The support group provides all this. And the thing is that we, we don't have, we just don't, that's just not like, that's just not, I mean, that should be like once, once a kid gets further along in tennis, not at five, but I mean, maybe at five, I don't know, but you need to start establishing support groups and clubs and coaches need to try to help players pull that together, pull that together. Like, have you know, have do you talked to your parents about tennis at all or how is this go, you know, and are they, you know, they, so they take you to the tournaments. Are they watching, you know, are they engaged? Do you, do you, you know, cause you really need to watch and engage and you really need to learn about the game of tennis because if you really, if you're, you're paying all this money for your son to take or daughter to take these lessons, you really need to, you know, learn the game of tennis and try to understand it and have some empathy. And maybe you should play a little bit yourself so you can understand the struggle that's involved here. And, you know, you start, you got to start building that support group 
at a very early age. Right. And I think where these support groups come out is usually, you're right, in some level, they come out with these people who have a maniacal vision of you will become the best in the world, right? There is that. But then there's also, and I think it's really hard passionately for parents because they've been involved. If, if they do get involved, I think it's very hard for parents to turn it off. And I think it can become maladaptive at some point, meaning the parents like, you know, steering just to, because they're frustrated and they're like, look, we've spent all this time, we've spent all this money, and now you're just going to walk away and you're going to ruin your life. I think there is that maladaptiveness because it's built from the foundations of passion and commitment, but it's also, it's also gone wrong. But I think you got to start having all of that in an early age. And I think coaches need to encourage the development of that because that's one of the, the ways that people are psychologically going to get through all this because you're going to face so many losses. How else are you going to psychologically get through this? You know, this is very, this is very dicey stuff to, to walk up that, that ladder, to, to climb that hill. It's very dicey stuff. And the support group is key to it. And starting to think about how you, you know, build it at an early age is critical. Two things you've, we have to address is control. The control that, yes, I agree with you when you said, well, you put four or five years into this. Are you sure this is what you want to do? That's the perspective. The perspective, right. So, Yes. Hey, we, you said you really love this. Are you sure? Maybe you're just having a bad year. Maybe this is something that you do love. We can tweak it, but let's not throw it away. It seems like a waste that we did all this work. And Go you ahead. have to also deal with the parent emotion around that because the parent, yeah. and I know you hate this, but I'm going to say it anyway because <laughs> you just hate money. But here's the reality. The parent is like, God, man, I, this is nuts. I, we have spent, I mean, and I've talked to countless parents. This is not tennis. This is not just tennis. I know, this is everything. You're talking, you're talking parents who, parents who the, the kid is, has a $4,000 saxophone. And he's like, I'm done. Done. D-O-N-E. You know what I mean? Like texting is my thing. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just saying, the, 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 and the parent is like, I, we have taken you to lessons. We have bought you the best. We've taken you on trips. We've done this whole thing. And now you're going to walk away, right? So there, you got to figure out a way to deal with the parent emotion around that too. Because it takes a pretty self-disciplined parent to sit there and go, yeah, whatever. That's cool. Or, yeah, you sure? Yeah, well, okay, well. <laughs> Just walk away. You know? you're looking at 40 grand out you the window. 40 grand out the window. And and I know you hate money because you think money's money, money. You should all be passion. But I'm saying as a parent, you're like, God, that was like, that was $10,000. Let's be realistic here. 4,000 for the saxophone. Along the way, there were other saxophones. Along the way, we had all these lessons. Along the way, we did trips and we took them to places. And now you're just going to say, that's it. I'm done. I mean, there's a lot of parent stuff that's wrapped up in there. No, and that's, listen, I got it. But that reaction, what does that convey to the kid slash player. It's guilt. You're guilting them now that you're throwing guilt on them. Yeah. And now let's go all the way back to the beginning of the podcast with Brenda. 
there's financial issues, all these things. Yeah. And if she's caught in a loop of, I'm going to let my, my mommy and daddy down because when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, all we had were all these financial issues, all these sacrifices. That's the exact same thing as the parent that spent $100,000 and the kid's like, I, I want to quit. And then they react that way. So there's this underlying emotional current, emotional current that's there that's filled with guilt. Maybe I, maybe I actually just want to hang out with some people and I actually, I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm really good at it. But it doesn't, but I'm letting all these people down. Now, mix that all in, and that's exactly what I was saying earlier. When you're conveying that kind of guilt, that is not a good place for an, for an athlete. Hold on, you jump in a second. Let me just finish my thought. That it's not a good place for an athlete to go for a high level if you're playing with guilt and some sort of, I'm letting people down, because that is not a healthy motivator. And I agree with one of the things I think you do really well as a coach is to find that line between you must kill your opponent, but afterwards, thanks, let's go hang out. That, that's a hard thing to do. Say like, you must destroy them. And they, I want you, Cannibal and Bomber, to destroy the, your opponent. That's your goal. But you can do it in a way where you're not a complete jag off. There's a way to be a killer without acting like a killer. And I think that that's something that is a really hard line to walk and keep it in perspective because I've seen kids that are just jerks yeah. when they compete. So, so I, I kudos to you for that because that's a really tough line to walk. But that's, if you're, con and you, you don't convey guilt. And I have, like you just said, well, if you guys want to cut this out, but we've invested, that is the pros and cons. That is the perspective that you were talking about in the support group that lets them say, all right, you know, it has been four or five years. I'm pretty good at it and I have fun at it. All right, okay, right. That's, but then again, that allows them the control to do it. That is, so if there's not a control element there and you're being guilted into doing it, yes, I understand when you look at that as a parent or someone that's supporting somebody or even as a coach, when I've spent seven, eight years with somebody and I've gone a little bit extra and above and beyond and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're out. And you're like, uh, but I cleared my schedule for you. Like I bent over backwards to get you in and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we're going to move along to this other club or this other pro. And you know, I'm outwardly, I'm saying, yeah, okay, I totally understand. It's, right. <laughs> it's been a great run. I really right. appreciate it. And inside of like, just like, oh yeah. no, that guy, that, that right. woman or guy's going to get all the credit for how good they are. Shoot. I did all, right. you know, it's right. like, oh my God, that's, that's an ego thing. I get it. It hurts. That's the same thing as a, a parent, like choking it down saying, you're going to quit now after like all the baseball games I went to and all the hockey practices. I just drove your, like we went to Wisconsin like a hundred times. It costs like thirty grand a year to play. You're like, oh, you're okay. Yeah, like, I, like that. I listen. I'm not. That takes like super parent. I get it. It's because of all the, your own sacrifices. Well, and you what 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 what? But but let's not. Yeah, I totally agree. But let's not. What's happened along the way is that it's been like a shared vision. Your vision, my vision. Then it's our vision. <laughs> then it's our vision some more, then it's our vision some more, and we're working as a team. This feels really good. It's almost like being let go from a job. You're like, 
we are this, we are that I'm doing this for you. We're doing this together. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are. Hey, uh, can I talk to you for a few minutes? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you're no longer needed here. What? Uh, we're closing up operations and you're no longer needed there. I mean, how many times have I sat across the table from a relative of mine and they're like, that was really good by the way. Cause that's how it goes, right? You've had that. You've had like the, the bracket conversation the day before and you thought you were buddies right. and then you, 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 hey, hit, you saw how was your weekend pretty good. And then the there. next day you have that tone. You're like, but I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from family members and they're sitting there and they're so proud and they're like, they're like, well, we do this and we do that. And I'm thinking to myself afterwards, I'm like, who the F is we? Cause I got news for you, buddy. You just work there. They will get rid of you in a heartbeat. And that's not to be cold and cruel. Some people would be like, wow, you're just a jerk. I'm just saying, you know, like I never, I always had that like one step away from me in the back of my head, whatever job I had, I was like, there's plastic on the floor just waiting for me. And so I always had that in the back of my head, you know, but you, you just, I'm going to hit your smarkles. Oh, you just said mm -hmm. something. I don't think you even knew it. You said it. probably not. So the job of the family member that's at the dinner table, what has the job done for them? What did the job, other than finances, finances? Oh, what? It it's becomes an identity. Stop. It, yeah. An identity. Yeah. Woo! Love the fade out. Becomes an identity. And that gives you what? Friends. That gives you a prestige. Prestige. Yeah. Uh, maybe it, it gives you money. It gives you support. It it gives you a thing. Yeah. Even if the job is bad for you and doesn't really, and this is going to sound contradictory, which I, you can jump on me in a second. If it doesn't actually maximize who you are as a person, but it because it gives it fulfills you certain elements, elements that are important. But to it you. could be a false identity but because it gives you any sort of identity. So what happens sometimes with, I think, athletes, when they start younger and they get really serious super early, there, there has to be a balance found bet between what you said as far as really mastery and artistry where you have to really put in the time, and I agree with you. It's, it takes two, three hours a day, absolutely, bar none, but that takes a very special person to put that in with the right support system. But what happens then when you start doing that you start forming an identity. And I've seen this over 20 years of coaching. Sure. Where I'm the, and we do it now with these signs around the North Shore. I'm a, my kid's a soccer player. My kid, and they all yeah. put their signs sure. on, yeah. right? Their identity. <laughs> I see people graduating from grade school with signs. I'm like, grade school? It's crazy. Graduation? I, I, this is my grade school alma mater? Yeah, I, I, I don't. Okay, but that's but that's human. But I think that's fundamental. We could actually do a whole show on this identity thing because I think that's yes. And put put that in the notes <clears throat> that identity. So what happens is, and let's now go back to my favorite guy, Andre Agassi. Andre, call me. Love to hang out. We can listen to some Barbara Streisand together. He likes easy listening, and. I think what happens is you do it so much it becomes your identity and you're not sure if that is your identity. 
but then you become really good at it. But it's actually not your identity. It's not who you are. It doesn't feel like you, but you do it anyway. Regardless of the financial success, regardless of your support group, and then the support group and your family adds pressure to that identity because you're not who you're supposed to be. It's, It's unfulfilling. It's outwardly to other people, it looks fulfilling because you're winning. You're good at it. But then you're saying, but that's actually not who I am. I'm actually the cop that likes the exhilaration. And yes, I know all these things are really bad, but I'm going to tell you, this is who I am. Right. And you feel that pressure not to explore that person. Right. And I think that you have to go into the world of mastery at any level unencumbered by outside pressure that you have to do it. And it's funny, her, her, she, Sean is her husband, Brenda. We're back to Brenda now, where this all started. And I think we can wrap this up because I know this is getting long. She said that he has this, thing. she goes, well, he's, he's not really a nice guy. Right. He's nice to me. <clears throat> right. But he has, what I, what I think she means by that, again, that would have been something to explore in the podcast. I was like, okay, talk about this. He had asked her before one of her big matches, they said they were dating like three weeks and he came to watch her over the weekend play. And before she went to, to compete, he said, so how do you feel about the weekend? She goes, well, you know, I keep losing this girl. I've lost to her 10 times and she's a really tough match. And, and he says, well, sounds like you're going to lose again because of her, her mindset. It was down. It was not one of strength and of be killer, be killer, win. It was one of I keep losing. So that there, so what happened was when he came in, he became a positive support group for her, giving her a different perspective. So I think that helped. And it seems like it's helped her They've been together now 25 years, so I'm gonna, that's a good relationship. So he's providing some sort of... It was interesting because her mom dies, and then she picks up with this guy, and or she's around the same time with this guy. And, you know, he kind of took over the reins of the support mechanism, and he took her up to the next level. He didn't sit there and say, you know, it sounds like you're really miserable, maybe you should quit. And he, he was like, well, sounds like you're going to lose again. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to hear. I'm sure, you know, like, wow, you're a dick, but, <laughs> but yeah. then again, but then again, you know, it's kind of a S or get off the pot moment. Well, what is it going to be? Are you really going to be this tennis player? Or are you going to move on? And that's a support group, you know, but then interesting what I, again, here's something that begs the question. How did her parents coach her? Yeah. And she also said that the coaches that she was with at a younger age were not fully invested in your own emotional. It was play tennis. Right. So we keep coming back to your emotional. Also, play tennis and technique and being really strong is an aspect of the game. Yeah. And we're ignoring all these other things. Um, Our elemental humanness. Yeah. 
So I think we're younger support groups. My issues are fast. <laughs> fast. You mean like food? <clears throat> no. My, my issues, my things that think are about allowing young people to learn control, have time to explore. Uh, fairness, which I agree with this book, um, adult of uh, childhood roots of adult happiness. Everybody should read this and understanding that they have that their identity doesn't get wrapped up too early in something, but still finding that balance that you were saying about the push that without having that heavy hand of this is what I want for you. It's this, again, this is what you've done. You do this with the boys. You say, you said this is what you want to do. And I'm showing you that this is, this is it. And I can show you other famous people that have, at, or people at this level that have done it this way. And I think this is the way to go. That is being supportive of their mission, their dream, their impetus, their task, the thing that gets them into flow versus the thing that gets you into that mm -hmm. and that's a very that's very different so when we have the support groups parental involvement that it has to have this balance for the player knowing that they have control that this could be their identity but it's okay to walk away from it but here are the pros and cons and here's my perspective but also on dealing with the parent thing, which is pretty important, which is like, wow, we've invested a lot of time in this. So before you would just walk away, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've invested a lot of time in this and it's not all about me. I realize it's your life, but we've made this decision together. You were totally into it and now you're not into it. Okay, fine. But, and this is just me. Well, then you better pick something else. <laughs> you better pick something else that you're going to, that you're going to go Cause you're not going to just going to dabble forever. You got to pick, you got to pick some things that you really think because you got to go through. The other thing is to go through the sheer exercise of seeing, well, this is what it really takes, you know, cause on the one hand, we're all as a culture enthralled with the big vision. I'm going to be the tennis pro. I'm going to own a landscape company. <laughs> right. But then when you actually start digging holes out there and you're planting trees, you know, and you're in the midday July sun and three guys haven't shown up and your bills are, you're running behind on your payables and your receivables are running behind and your truck broke down. Now all of a sudden things are changing. The dream, you better still, do I still love being out in the fresh air and the sunshine? Yeah, you did when it was just you working for somebody, planting a tree on a summer day, and you had your mortgage paid for by your parents. That's very different than you've got this plane up in the air that you're trying to keep aloft with 300 people on it to make sure that it doesn't crash and things are malfunctioning on the plane. Now what? Do I still love being a pilot? Do I still love it? That's where, well, I love the motivation of keeping people safe and I love troubleshooting and I love, okay, even if all systems fail on this plane, I know I take it up at altitude, 10,000, 15,000 more feet, and then I let it drift down and I've got five minutes to find a place to land and get these people safe. And if I'm in the middle of an ocean, I'm going to have to do a water landing and I'm okay with that. 
I'm okay with that. This is going to suck, but I'm going to float it down and we're going to do a water landing. I'm going to launch the emergency beacons. I'm going to, they know where we are, triangulator GPS. We could have rescue here in about eight hours. We can survive out in the open ocean on our rafts. This is what we're going to do. I'm cool with it versus holy crap. This is not what I bargained for. I was just there to get us to Maui and back. It's very different. It's very different. So anyway. That's what I got for you. <laughs> it was great. This is a good one. There's, there's just so much to say. And I think we should at some point talk about identity. That should be a next episode. Yeah, I agree on that. This is good. You totally rocked my brain on this one. This is great. Thank you for being open to it. Cause I think it was a, I wanted so much more out of that podcast. Yeah. Like I started out and I think, and this is the last thing I'll say on this. I okay. think that the, the thing that I bristle at is <clears throat> when people call themselves out as experts, the intro to that podcast is the expert in this. It's a high bar. So when you, we don't call ourselves experts. You don't even, you don't even like it when I sit there and I say, you teach a hundred people, blah, blah, blah. You're like, stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't want people to know this. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why? This is a qual for you. This is a great thing. Well, clearly you don't want to, there's something there and you don't want to be known as that or whatever. This podcast is like, he's the expert in that. And I'm like, well, if you're the expert, you better, it's not just about, Hey, I'm going to interview somebody. Call me if you want to talk it. There should be some value there of some insight where you go, you know, he, he's got a point or I totally disagree with him. Whatever it is. The point is that you got to give more than just like, uh, so tell me, so do you think that that was an issue for you? You know, and I'm not, again, all I'm saying is like, you gotta, you gotta roll up your sleeves. And if you're an expert, that's the danger. You hold yourself out there as somebody. And then there's expectations as an expert for us. There's no expectations. It's kind of like, Hey, you're listening, <laughs> you're listening to these two guys rant for an hour. You can turn it off if you want. You can listen to us while you're mowing the lawn, although keep it down. Cause you could cause hearing damage. But the point is like, you know, when you, when you, when you're doing the expert thing, you, you got to bring stuff to the table. People are expecting like some, something where you go, Ooh, wow. I never thought of that before. And you can give that away for free. <laughs> Doesn't cost it. <laughs> anyway, point. I think that's it. That's all I got to say. No, this is good. Totally floozled right No, I think put the link on to this, this episode on to our, so people can listen to it. I think they should listen to it. Oh my God. Did we just go 80 minutes? We did. Uh, on a 24 minute. Look at that. Right now. Tennis Rockets, baby. <laughs> Do you rock my brain? Rock my Tennis Rockets! Oh